What's up, everybody? Welcome to this special edition of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, concert photos, and oh so much more. Uh, rolling solo on this one. You heard me talk about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, basically, we are doing a five-part installment series of the top five records that influenced uh, the members of Misery Signals. Jesse reached out to me on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago and ran the idea by me, and I said it sounded like a lot of fun. I mean, Misery Signals is one of my favorite bands. As you heard Dan and I discuss on uh, discography discussion and getting to learn more about the people and the music that influenced them uh, sounded like a really fun thing. Uh, Getting to just learn more about the band and and what has influenced them along the way uh, sounded like a great time and just a a kind of a cool concept that I've not really seen done necessarily uh, on another podcast. So um Go to keep this short, basically, uh, Jesse and I kind of hit the ground running on this one. Uh, you know, he called me and we just started going and, you know, I threw in the music in the background as well. So you're actually going to hear some songs from the records uh, that Jesse talks about. Um, don't know when the next one will be coming up. Uh, Ryan is currently on a vacation and haven't really been able to get in contact with the other guys, uh, but looking to kind of just throw these out sporadically. And uh, with all of that, you know, we're going to get right into it. But first, let's get all the plugs out of the way. If you would like to keep up with Misery Signals, it's real simple. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Misery Signals. If you would like to keep up with Jesse, simple enough, go to Instagram, Jesse Zaraska, Z A R A S K A. You can go to MiserySignalsMusic.com and keep up with everything there. Uh, website hasn't been updated in a little while, uh, but I would imagine with a lot of the new dates, you know, getting announced with Darkest Hour and Sect and so forth and uh, those kind of things and the Furnace Fest update and new music coming, presumably, uh, in the in the new year uh that there will be a lot of updates so head over there and keep up with everything if you'd like to keep up with metal nexus simple enough metalnexus.net metal nexus on facebook metal.nexus on instagram and metal underscore nexus on twitter and if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast go to bruce speak pod facebook instagram and twitter check out our youtube channel we do have everything over there as well as some videos and if you would like to keep up with our show sponsors uh we have the bean bastard go to the beanbastard.com get you some coffee uh it looks like Things are ramping up over there, doing lots of cool things over there. Uh, so go grab some coffee. Let them know that we sent you. Check them out on Facebook at The Bean Bastard. Instagram at The Bean Bastard Coffee. Uh, on Point Palmade. Uh, go ahead and go to onpointpalmade.com. Use BSP15 and get 15% off your total purchase order. Let them know that we are supporting them for supporting us over here. Uh, check them out on On Point Palmade on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, let them know that we sent you. That's how we keep everything growing. We love working with these companies and we want to continue to uh support them so without further ado this is my conversation with jesse and i will talk to you all next time How you doing, brother? Doing good. Getting wrapped up in some nostalgia. <laughs> good. What did you get watching? Uh, today is Aaliyah's 41st birthday. She would have still been around, so I've been watching a bunch of Aaliyah videos. 
cool. It's wild to to realize, you know, I subconsciously I didn't realize it was a birthday today. Um, and then when my wife and I went to go have some drinks with some friends and so forth, I just threw on one of my Aaliyah shirts and someone like someone tagged me in a post and they're like, did you know it was her birthday today? And I was like, absolutely not. But like, I just so happened to be wearing an Aaliyah shirt. Like it was almost serendipitous that I knew it was the anniversary of her passing and so forth or her birthday, at least at this point. So right. it's just, uh, I don't know. It's really weird. It, it's kind of weird. Like in the last, like I'd say seven years or so i've really just kind of been become really engrossed in her career and, and what she could have done and and all these kind of things and it, it's kind of weird to look back and just be like man you were on the precipice of like so much greatness and, and it just didn't come to fruition right i know men, not many are, are big into uh ali or like late late 90s early 2000s r&b <laughs> you know like i never i never got into that kind of stuff growing up very much yeah but um, in the last maybe decade and a bit, like I've grown to really, really, really like, um, a lot of that kind of stuff. Like a lot of old Marvin Gaye stuff I really Ooh, got yeah. into in the last decade. Um, some of some like earlier John Legend stuff I really, mm. really like, but like kind of got into that through, you know, through hip hop, I guess mm-hmm. I, I'm not a big hip hop guy. But Ryan Morgan very much is. And when we were younger in Misery Signals, he would play a lot of um, a lot of hip hop that had that R and B, you know, samples or like, you know, Common. Common is a guy that he yes. played quite a bit. Yeah. And so that was kind of open doors for me to accept more of hip hop stuff because growing up, I mean, all my friends were super into you know NWA and Easy and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I I gravitated towards it over time be just because my friends listened to it and it were kind of reminded me of them or something like, you know, as I got into my twenties and stuff, I was never a hip, big hip hop guy, but that stuff would, you know, remind me of being a teenager and I could, I could, I could deal with it cause it reminded me of my friends kind of thing. But, um, when Ryan started to expose me, you know, in, in misery signals to a lot more, I would say more intelligent hip hop, yes. you know, a lot of stuff with, um, lyrics that I could gravitate more towards, um, stuff that I, you know, I could play for, for my grandmother or I could play for, <laughs> um, you know, children or something like that. And a lot of that stuff, it seemed leaned heavily or more heavily on the R and B. And, uh, that was definitely, um, a time when some doors were opened to me and I started to accept, styles of music that I, I was not really exposed to much uh, in my youth. So that kind of stuff that Common did um, definitely kind of opened the door to me, uh, you know, listening to a lot of, of uh, different R&B as, as in the last decade or so. And I definitely have grown um, to appreciate it on a much deeper level. Well, I think the thing that's interesting to me is like my wife, you know, didn't have MTV and didn't really grow up around the, the early 90s hip hop scene and so forth, which is pretty prevalent on MTV and so forth. Uh, I don't right. know about much music or not. I don't know how, how relevant it was on that. But it's like, you know, I grew up in the beginning in the East Coast and then moved here to the Midwest. And I just feel like people the hip hop had something to say um you know like it, it had people like you know your Tupac's your Biggie's your your I mean even going back to the 80s of like Grandmaster Flash you know Run DMC you know even Beastie Boys kind of to a degree like everyone had something to say they had there was craft in what they were doing and it just is one of those things where you I don't know I don't know if it just speaks to the pure element of music having an art form versus sometimes how I feel now where I'm like, 
okay, but like it's it's a it's a hook, I guess. But like, what the fuck is it really saying? <laughs> and and I, feel, right. I just I just feel old now sometimes when I listen to music, and I'm like, but what is this saying? This doesn't have like any. I don't know. It just has nothing that like grabs me. It's like okay, like cool. You got a you got a hook that you repeat like seventy times, and it's catchy, but like it doesn't mean anything. And it took twelve people to write it. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of that. A lot of that old hip hop. Like I might not necessarily agree with all the ethics uh, related to the lyrics and stuff, but it's like it's real, right? Um, there's there's like an element of of true art, as you're saying, to it because it's just it's it's real, right? So. I appreciate that part of it for sure. Well, I guess uh, this is as good as any as a segue into the whole point of this, which is to talk about bands and albums that influenced you. Yes, sir. And you're, you're kickstarting off uh, this, I guess, five-part series of uh, talking to the rest of you guys and Misery Signals to uh, basically kind of get to know the albums that shaped you guys all as a band and maybe some of the records that uh, influenced you as far as writers, as far as lyricists and so forth. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to this. Like when you hit me up, I was like, it's not necessarily something we do per se, but like, I'm kind of interested to, to find out, you know, a band that I've long admired, like what shaped all of you. So I think it's really interesting, you know, to, to, especially as a lyricist, I'm really excited to, to go down this rabbit hole with you and, and learn about some records that, you know, have inspired you one way, shape or form or another. Yeah. I think like, even myself, I'm I'm interested to see what the other guys will come up with, right? Like, we just briefly talked about it, and uh, I'm I'm I myself will be interested to see what what their answers are, and uh, just as you, you know, like just as a fan of music myself, I mean, yeah, I, I I always like listening to these things and seeing and hearing what inspired some of the the artists that I like. So, I'm excited to do this, buddy. Thank you for making time. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um. I mean, this is going to be freeform as hell, so uh, I don't know if you have a, a specific order you want to go in, or you just have five, and we'll start at five and work our way down. <laughs> so five was really hard for me. I was able to bang it down till, to ten. <laughs> I will go with, I'm going to go chronological, so maybe we'll do five today, and if we can do another five another time or something like that. But yeah, it was a, a real task to uh, to whittle it down to five, so... Uh, we'll do five today, but very, it's going to be very uh, almost famous of you. <laughs> what do you mean? Why? Uh, cause their, their whole, you know, the whole thing that he, uh, the main character and almost famous does, uh, John Cusack's character, you know, it's always in these lists, these top five lists, like top five breakups, top five, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then subsequently when he creates his own label to put out that band, the skateboard punk kids that are outside of his shop, it's called top five records. So it's, it's very, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So it just kind of was, you know, I was thinking about how very, uh, again, serendipitous it is that it's like one of my favorite movies, you know, basically the whole thing is top five lists and so forth and top five, this top five, that, and then you're like, let's do a top five, uh, albums that influence misery signals. And I was like, love it. (laughs) Cool. Well, I'm, I appreciate your time, old buddy. Yeah. So first one, uh, I was, Raised by uh, some music-loving parents. I was very fortunate to be raised in a household where there was an abundance of music. Um, Parents were very young when they had me. My dad was 18 and mom was 17. So they were young hippies, I guess. Um, I was born in 78 and they were kind of, uh, I would say, very much people that, like, I mean, they were kids in the 60s, but they they kind of like... uh, kept 
into that style of music and stuff through well, still to this day. So early on, I was very much exposed to uh, lots of David Bowie, lots of Iggy Pop, lots of Lou Reed, lots of like 70s kind of glam stuff. Um, and I would say that the most important, well, it's hard to say, but David Bowie uh, would be probably who I would say is my most the person who influenced me the most in music, because from a very early age, uh, I definitely gravitated towards his stuff. I always really liked it when mom and dad played that stuff. Um, it's hard to decide which record of his is the best, but there's like three or four that kind of come out one after the other. And um, Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust is obviously probably the most well-known. And I absolutely love that record, and that was a mainstay in the Misery Signals van uh, back in the day. But I would probably say that my favorite record is um, the one prior to that, which is called Hunky Dory, which is a little bit more piano-based and a little bit lighter, um, which is all, I mean, which kind of makes it odd for me because I'm not necessarily a huge piano rock guy, but um, Hunky Dory definitely just always spoke to me um i mean i know probably every single lyric on that record and it's just a record that definitely influenced me very much as a young guy and then uh, still to this day i guess do you think that that record because it's not as uh, i don't know if bombastic is, is the word i want to use but just very as adventurous as maybe as ziggy stardust is do you think it's in that kind of raw and sincere approach that honky dory has is what gravitates it towards you as being your favorite I think he's very honest. I think in that record, it is more bare bones musically and also lyrically. It's a little bit more, um, yeah, I don't think there's much show. I think with Ziggy Stardust, he's starting to tell a story, right? And there's a way more of, way more of a fictional element to it. Yeah. Um, but I think with Hunky Dory, it's a lot more realism. It's a lot more to do with his life and his relationships. Um and maybe because he's a little bit more youthful too, there's like, um, um, maybe it might be more, a little more naive or something. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a standout record to me. Um, and I think there's a lot of great tracks on there, but I think life on Mars is, is probably the one that, um, I would say is my favorite, but that's always a hard thing to say. Like, what's your favorite? <laughs> Well, I think it's just interesting because I think especially with it as an enigmatic uh, artist as Bowie who spanned many decades, spanned many genres and so forth and had different iterations of, of a look and so forth. I think that's kind of the fun thing about some of these artists who were so timeless is that you could pick a certain era maybe and it kind of encapsulates you and what you what gravitated you toward them at that point. I mean, it's like, you know, I guess some people would say that with Kiss, you know, there's certain eras of Kiss that people like more than the others or, you know, someone for me that I think, you know, I gravitate toward. There's two people off the top of my head thinking about the same ways, like a Brian Adams or for me, a Rod Stewart. They encompass so many different styles of music and it kind of really depends on where you came in or what what you kind of identify with. Sure. Um, yep. And I think they, the, all the, all four of those artists are basically transcendent uh, as far as what they are and how they can be viewed from a fan base right yeah i agree 
What's your uh, number four? Uh, number four or number two would be uh, Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil, mm. which again is is a hard choice because Motley Crue is sort of the, the first band that I really got into outside of my parents' influence. It was the first thing that, I mean, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry, I got actually when I was six for my sixth Christmas. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my Auntie Wanda who got that for me uh, in for my sixth Christmas, which is pretty awesome. Um, but the first band that I like really loved on my own uh, was Motley Crue. And I heard Theater of Pain first because Smoking in the Boys Room was uh, a big hit at that point on on radio and on video hits, uh, Canadian uh, music, music video show. Before Much Music This Is. Um, okay. So Smoking in the Boys Room, obviously, like one of their more sort of um, polished cover hits, you know, and I think as a little guy, <clears throat> that at least hooked me. It wasn't it wasn't too crazy heavy or anything like that. Um, and so I got Theater of Pain. I think it was about eight years old. Um, and that's the first Motley Crue record that I had. And I think it's actually one of one of the worst records they put out. It's um, a bad record. <laughs> but it's the first one that I had, you know. So soon thereafter, there was some uh, some long-haired, older dudes in my little area that I lived. <clears throat> and they had Shout at the Devil. So soon thereafter, a guy named Brian Adcock showed me Shout at the Devil. And then I got Too Fast for Love next. And that's when I'm eight. And so the next year is 1987 and Girls, Girls, Girls. Out. And I, I'm super into that as well. Like I got that for my birthday the next year. My dad got me that. But it's Theater of Pain that opened that door. It's Theater of Pain that really... Um, hooked me with 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 the crew so i have to go with theater of pain although i know uh a lot of people will say that it's it's uh it's not the best record and it's the one that probably influenced me the most but um as i said shout at the devil came out or i got my hands on shout at the devil shortly thereafter and uh i i would i would admit that that is 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 the superior record and i would even say too fast for love is far superior record as well but um Shout of the Devil definitely heavily influential on me, and uh, some of the like the deeper cuts are actually the ones that, as an older guy, I still find myself listening to, like the last track "Danger" and stuff like "Knock 'Em Dead, Kid." Like, not really the the hits, not even songs on the first side. Really, I think I tend to um, like the the second side more on that record nowadays. Well, I mean, like you look at a song like "Too Young to Fall in Love," I feel like is a great song, but it was more. Almost, a, I feel like that was like a leftover song that maybe wasn't finished from Too Fast for Love. Right. But it, it just, I don't know. It's so weird. Like, Motley Crue was a band for me. Like, I, I love that band as well. And Shout Out the Devil was really interesting because I think I think I came into the band as a, as a kid because I think you're about six years older than me. And so Dr. Feelgood was my first experience with Motley Crue and the videos and so forth. But as I've gone back as an adult, I definitely think Shout Out the Devil has something more polished and realized versus the youthful exuberance of, of too fast for love. Um, and I don't know, like it is kind of interesting and I do kind of, I want to pose the question cause this is the day of cassettes and vinyl and so forth and maybe CDs. <laughs> uh, did you have the original album artwork for this album? Uh, for shout. So the first cassette tape that I saw, from my friend Brian in his basement. I believe it's the second. So it's the four pictures of ah, them okay. on the cassette cover. Now I own 
the record now with the pentagram and everything. And I, you know, I probably, I probably got that when I was 15 or 16 or something like that. But yeah, I think the first, uh, inception that I saw was the, the four pictures on the cover one. Was there a sense of, uh, cause uh, you know, I, I didn't really remember this as a kid and maybe it's just how I grew up or whatever. Was there really much of a, ooh, you can't have this because there's a pentagram on the cover and there's Satan worshiping band. Was there much of that when you were getting into this record? I would say at that time, yeah. I would say in 86 in, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, like there was some, <clears throat> um, yeah, it was kind of like a, it was a hot, a hot thing to have, you know, because it was uh, a little bit forbidden, you know, it was a little bit pushing boundaries you know what i mean like we kind of look back on it now and then it's 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 kind of a joke right obviously there's tv shows and and stuff made about you know the attack on heavy metal in the 80s and stuff but at that point i mean it was it was new to a lot of people and it was freaking people out and some of that imagery um it was effective right like i mean it was some of those bands just chose that stuff because it was effective because it sold records um but I remember, you know, listening to that in the basement as an eight-year-old kid and being a little scared, being a little intimidated intimidated by the song titles, you know, God Bless the Children of the Beast. I remember taking it home and listening to it and, yeah, kind of not, you know, being intimidated, being intrigued. You know, it was this very mysterious, amazing uh, group of guys that looked like they were kind of from outer space, kind of like Kiss or something, you know, so it was as a young guy who loved comic books and loved, you know, scary movies and stuff. It was, they were a cool band. Out of curiosity, you know, earlier, and this is kind of the last we'll touch on this before we go on to your next record, but, you know, you touched on Twisted Sister being a fan of them and, and obviously Motley Crue. Did the PRMC, is it PMRC or P, yeah, PMRC, did that stuff get over to you over in Canada or was that kind of more focused here regionally in the U.S.? <laughs> It was, I mean, it was a more a United States thing. I mean, we obviously heard about it. And now as an older person, I you know, obviously know lots about it. So it's hard to say at the time when I'm 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that kind of stuff, how aware I was of it, you know. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't really say. See, I remember growing up at that point because, like, CDs were in long boxes. And I remember, like, Appetite for Destruction – getting that was one of the first records i can remember getting the parental advice sticker for it for some of the lyrical content but also basically what was originally the original album cover which then the was rape the, scene yeah 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 <laughs> the appetite for destruction on the inside of the album cover and which was the original album cover so like i do remember there being concessions made at a young age but not really understanding what they meant and why but just like, oh, now music has this sticker on it and certain things have changed. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, I mean, I grew up in a household of, of you know, uh, basically raised by hippies that were, were very liberal, very lenient. Um, so it's funny, like my old man listened to a lot of Stooges, you know, a lot of Clash. Uh, and none of that stuff. I guess, raised any alarms for him and really no crew or anything did for him. But my mom was raised in a fairly religious household. So I remember around the same time, um, and one of those older metal kids that I hung out with gave me an Iron Maiden, the number of the beast flag. And I remember bringing that home and my mom being a little bit, 
more than a little bit weirded out about it. She made me cut off the the part that said the number of the beast on the bottom. <laughs> now, ironically, ironically, if you know that that image, I mean, it's it's the image of Eddie, and he's got puppet strings and he's controlling the the devil Lucifer, and then Lucifer has puppet strings and he's controlling man, right? Um, so the whole image itself is like pretty extreme for an eight-year-old kid to have on his wall. It's just funny looking back now and thinking, oh yeah, mom made me cut off the words, the number of the beast. But, you know, she allowed me to have that, the devil on my wall or whatever. But it's, (laughs) you know.
Uh, what do you got for number three? Number three, my man. This is an interesting one. Um, and I'm, like I said earlier, I'm intrigued about what the rest of the guys will say. And definitely, I think I would assume that Metallica will make, I would think everybody's list, you know? Um, so I would have to go with Ride the Lightning. And I'm, yeah, interested to see what the other guys will say about this. Metallica for me, uh, first time I heard them, I was uh, skateboarding on a launch ramp and I heard anesthesia pulling teeth was the first thing I remember. So the very first thing I ever recall hearing of Metallica, I might have heard them in passing skateboarding or whatever earlier, but, um, you know, bass solo, take one. I remember hearing that and it really, really um, stuck with me. I think just the fact that you heard that engineer or whatever saying that, that wasn't normal. I don't recall hearing that in my parents' records or any of my Motley Crue records. You know, that person talking, saying bass solo, take one, it just, it stuck with me. I mean, it was, it was a very memorable moment. And uh, I love that. I love Kill 'Em All, but I don't think it's by any means as strong as a record as uh, Ride the Lightning or Master. Or maybe even Justice, but that's a hard call. But again, I would say Ride the Lightning would be my most important Metallica record, I would say. I heard Kill 'Em All first, but Ride the Lightning I heard with my Uncle Trevor, uh, who was a very influential person in my life as well when it comes to music. My Uncle Trevor is my mom's youngest brother, so he was only eight years older than me. So like when I'm like eight to nine, like he's like 15, 16, 17 in the eighties, right? Older brother role. Totally. And so he is the first guy to play when I'm six, maybe seven. He gives me, um, a mixtape. And on one side of it is ACDC high voltage. And on the other side of it is rat invasion of privacy. And I listen to those, uh, I listen to that tape a lot. I think about a year later, I'm in his car cruising and he's like, you got to listen to this band. And he puts in Metallica, Ride the Lightning. And I remember Trapped Under Ice, I think is the first thing I heard. And I just, he played music so loud all the time, like as a teenage guy in that car. And that was just the most extreme thing I'd ever heard at that point, you know, like, um, and so I fell in love with that record that day, and it's it's still a record that that I absolutely adore. I just think like Creeping Death and Call of Cthulhu are some of the uh, some of the finest heavy metal songs ever written. So, Ride the Lightning for me is is the one I have to go with when it comes to Metallica, even though it's a, a definitely a hard choice. I definitely know for me, like I had gotten into Metallica probably around the Black Album was when I became aware of them as a as a person getting into heavy metal and so forth but sure. i think one of the first records i actually bought of metallica's was ride the lightning and it was on the strength of for whom the bell tools F- fade to black you know trapped under ice which i mean later would become a, a great hardcore band that i i li- enjoyed seeing live and you know creeping death call of cthulhu like you said like this this was a band at the time and it was really weird because i i the Black Album was one of those where I feel like some of the, the more emphasis on bigger song arrangements and so forth and, and storytelling was still there. But when I went back to this record specifically, it just was like, oh, wow, like I'd never heard a band do this. And I don't know, it, it is kind of weird to kind of think about how 
finding a band and not being so far removed from like the first couple of records they put out when you're starting to get into a band. And I just, you know, I don't know that people can do that really anymore. Like we're, because like you can find anything at, at the drop of a dime now. Like you don't have to be an active participant in, in sitting down and, and, and discovering music from a, a very ethereal kind of standpoint. And I feel right. like sometimes if you get into, if you're more predominantly a, a metal, hardcore, whatever person, there are some benchmark records that come out. And I think this is one of those records that if you're into this kind of music, this kind of scene, this is one of those records that kind of is your trial by fire to kind of learn why it's important to like a band like Metallica and what this band did and what they did for many other musicians and, and band people moving forward from this point. And I do, it's kind of interesting. A song like a call of Cthulhu, like as I'm thinking about it now and talking to you, I actually see a lot of parallels where I'm like, you know what? I bet a young Jesse probably listens to this. And when you start doing something misery signals esque or even, you know, some of the other bands that you were in where it's like, oh, there's kind of these like long songs <laughs> and you got to fit a lot of like verbiage in it. And you're telling a, a story over this, you know, very sweeping song that takes three, four, five, six minutes or so. And yeah, and it, and it, yeah, and it starts making <laughs> more sense. And it's like, you know, this definitely isn't a record I, I probably would have picked out and been like, oh, Jesse probably really loves this record. But now that you're saying these things, I'm like, there are songs on this record I totally can understand. Like, how the the seeds of what would later on become sort of your vocal style and, and the band's approach would definitely be planted by listening to a record like this. Musically, I mean, there's a lot of melody, right? And there's a yeah. lot of those interludes. There's a lot of those intro sections, Call of Cthulhu on its own. Like there's bits of that on Kill 'Em All, but not really. That stuff starts no. to come to the forefront and ride the lightning, and then really, obviously, on Master of Puppets and Justice, it's it's very, very um, apparent, right? It's a big part of their of their thing, you know. It's super heavy at times, and then super melodic and nice at times. And I think, yeah, Misery Signals has always tried to encompass uh, those extremes, you know. It's when I first heard Seven Angels for the first time, that it really struck me too, um, and it reminded me of of Ride the Lightning and stuff. The Seven Angels and their ability on Jasmines, especially to sort of have these very beautiful musical sections and then go into like you know just the most heavy metal stuff around. It was um, something that definitely made me uh, like Seven Angels right away. And and to clarify, just to make sure that those who may be listening that maybe don't know this, you're referring to Seven Angels, Seven Plagues? Yes, I'm referring to Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, okay. which is the, the band that some of the guys from Misery Signals were in prior. Right. Just want to make sure, you know, because sometimes, like, when people potentially are listening to this, they may be, like, people who may listen to only my podcast but may not know the, the lineage of, of where misery signals come from may may not know that. So I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If, uh... <clears throat> Go and check out Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, Jasmine's Absolutely. Lullaby. It's very, very, very important record.
Um, number two. Number two. See, I'm going one, two, three, four, five. You're going the other way. So this is two for you, four for me. Um, this one's related to Metallica in ways, and I'll see if you know how this is related to Metallica. Okay. Um, band called SNFU, which is initially uh, from Edmonton, Alberta, here where I'm from, and then moved out to Vancouver where they got much bigger um, and started to kind of be on more of like skate punk compilations and stuff. They got on Epitaph for the last few records. But as a kid growing up here in Edmonton, they were just this um, big punk rock band that was in the scene. And uh, as again, as a kid, as a skateboarding kid, I just would see like, I remember the first time I think I saw the name was there's this like older skater kid that I used to skate with and he had a cast on and on his cast it said SNFU and I, that's the first time that I recall seeing you know th- those letters um, and then just I would see it spray painted on walls at St. Teresa school close to where I grew up and eventually I, I realized that this was a, a punk rock band and I, I heard them a few times um, I was exposed to a lot of punk rock early punk rock from my father but like i said before more like iggy and more like the clash um so snfu was was a different kind of thing a lot more i shouldn't say more dirty than iggy but just a a kind of just a little bit different you know and to me it was it was quite sonically it was sonically something that i wasn't quite used to right i came from more as i said heavy metal kind of background that I got into metal on my own. And then on my parents' side, a lot of, you know, seventies rock and sixties rock and that kind of stuff. So SNFU was, it was a new kind of weird thing. Um, I would stay up late on Friday, Saturdays here in Edmonton and they have the university here has a radio station called CJSR and they would have, after midnight, if you stayed up late, <clears throat> they would play heavy metal and they would play punk rock. That's where I first heard Suicidal Tendencies. That's where I first heard SNFU. Um, just really cool stuff. Like I would stay up with my little ghetto blaster and I would I would tape I would tape that radio show onto blank tapes. And then a lot of times, you know, as a little guy, I wouldn't even know who wrote these songs. I just knew the songs, you know, so there's songs that my brother and I have on these tapes that only in the last five or 10 years, we've found out through the internet who wrote these songs, you know, like they're just old punk rock songs from small American or Canadian bands. Um, But just super important to us as, as young Edmonton kids that, you know, growing up here in Edmonton, like it's very different from, being in LA or being in New York or something like that, you were quite far removed, right? So as you were talking about before, you really had to seek out music, search music out. And uh, that CGSR was, was super important to me as a young guy and exposing to me, exposing me to more punk rock and more metal and stuff that, that wasn't in the mainstream, you know, like I could get Twisted Sister records uh, cause I saw them, you know, on TV. I, I could, get Molly Crew records because I saw them on TV and I could go and ask about them, you know, but stuff like SNFU and, and suicidal tendencies and stuff like it was, it was harder to, to get to. And it was only through kind of really searching that you could find those things. Right. Like I remember shortly thereafter, like reading Thrasher magazine lots. And so there would always be suicidal shirts in there and stuff. Right. And you start piecing these things together, but it's like as a young person, it's also, 
mysterious and cool, you know. And it's it's a different day now, right? It's such a different time now with the internet and stuff. But back then, it was like only Friday night or Saturday night. If I stayed up late and recorded this show, I could get all this new crazy heavy music. You know, it was really really cool. Really, is what it was. Well, like two points to that. I think you know, kind of going to your point of you know, you found out about bands because of either bands saying they're in, you know, I I definitely think the liner notes and the thank yous uh, thing is kind of a thing in the past. Like, you know, that was something that myself and people of our age would look at liner notes of albums and be like, oh, this band thanks so-and-so or is influenced by so-and-so. And we would then go and see what that band was about. And then, you know, we'd kind of fall down the rabbit hole of finding those bands if we could. And I think to the point of you asked how, how, how the tie to Metallica to SNFU ties, and I think it's a band, I, I could be wrong, but I think I remember James Hetfield wearing a shirt of theirs on the Garage Days record, which is a covers album, there which then obviously showcases that the band paying, Metallica paying it forward to bands that influenced them to maybe at a time where people couldn't didn't know of these bands. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of a band like The Misfits. I Great. would You know, I would definitely say that the Misfits, you know, at that point had been gone for, weren't gone technically, but their heyday had already been gone by about 10 years. Uh, Danzig had already left. He had already started his solo career and so forth. So you're kind of hearing these songs and you're like, oh, like, you know, <laughs> what is it? Uh, Bread fan. And it's like, okay, no one is a fan of that band <laughs> that created that song until Metallica covered it. Um and if you like that band, I'm probably going to say you're full of shit, but, you know, it is what it is. But it, it does remind me of a time where you learned about bands because of the bands you were into, either wearing their shirts or thanking them in liner notes and so forth. And I feel like that's just, you know, like we're kind of harping on a little bit, but it's like you had to be <laughs> you had to be a fan and you had to actively seek out things that you were interested in back in these days. And you couldn't just be a passive fan of something. If you wanted to be a fan of something, you had to put in the effort and the and and try. And I think that that's, I think that's something that's missing from music now because it's just so readily available and you can just find anything at the at the drop of a dime. And like you're saying, like I've had I have mixed CDs where people made me you know CDs and didn't give me anything of who it was. And it isn't until recently where I could go, hey, you know, Siri, what is you know. Uh, this song or whatever and i'm finally you know 15 years after getting some of these cds learning who some of these bands are if they're even able to be found but there there's still sometimes a sense of mystery where it's kind of nice like to have something exist on a mixtape or a mix cd and you just it only exists in that format for you and you just kind of have fallen in love with that one song and it's kind of pure it's in a weird sense where it's like you, you didn't have any other records. You didn't have any outside influence to tell you whether you should like this or not. You just like it undeniably because it is what it is. And that's the only way that you know that this band and this song exists and you don't know anything else by them. And it's kind of really cool to know that we're old enough to, to kind of remember stuff like that. And I feel really bad for a lot of people who, who can't, you know, just live in that bubble of, of having this one song that means so much to them, but knowing nothing about it. Yeah. I mean, it was, there's good and bad in it. Right. But it was, it was, it was more mysterious back then, you know, and you, it was, it's, there's something about not knowing a lot that I guess as a kid, you kind of like, fabricated things in your mind or like you just thought about these bands and this music 
on a different level than nowadays. I mean, you just you would just go to the internet, right? And you look it up and you can find out all sorts of stuff, who these bands, who these guys are, what other bands they might have played in, what they look like. Like as a kid, I remember like seeing Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park as a kid, <laughs> like seeing that show and like really as as a five or six year old boy, kind of thinking like these guys had mad, like powers. Like I actually thought Kiss could do all those things i thought star child could shoot lasers out of his eyes i thought that the cat could like jump over fences like i just i'm and you know that made me i think love rock and roll even more right because i i thought these guys were actual living comic book characters or something right that's 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 completely lost now like that would that couldn't happen really no sadly can't believe, you can't believe that Kiss can do all their their great feats anymore. Well, I mean, Jim, <laughs> Jim, <laughs> uh, Gene would have definitely would have believed that you could buy all those powers. I'm sure at this point. <laughs> <laughs> what a prick! Definitely. Yeah, that guy. So SNFU, um, there is the first record they put out is called "And No One Else Wanted to Play," which is, uh, if you're familiar with that, the the cover is. Um, a photograph by a woman named Diane Arbus. It's just like this little boy holding a grenade. It's become a pretty famous image. Um, They, I think got sued because they used it without her permission. Um, But the early prints of that are worth quite a bit. And that's the first, I remember seeing that image a lot, but it was the third record that I got from them first. You know, it's called better than a stick in the eye. There's um small independent record store here when I was a kid called Sound Connection and you could go there and there would be a local section that would have local bands punk rock stuff Um, and it's also the place where you could like order in a lot of metal stuff so as I became a teenager that's where I first like ordered Madball CDs and Sick of It All and stuff that was not super readily available Uh, but that's where I first got my first SNFU tape, and it was the third one, Better Than a Stick in the Eye, which, again, I don't think is my favorite record, but it was the biggest influence on me at that point, because as a, as a nine-year-old boy, uh, that's the first one that I got. So I, I encourage people to go out and check out SNFU, because they're a fantastic punk rock band. But they're cool, I mean, like uh, because they were on the back of Garage Days, too, like as a young guy seeing that there was this punk rock band from Edmonton and James Hetfield is wearing their shirt. <clears throat> it encouraged me. Right. And it showed me that, okay, like, yeah, you don't have to be from LA or New York city. Uh, you can, you can make a mark even if you were just from, you know, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So it was, um, is that where they're I think, from? I always thought they were from Manitoba. No, SNFU was initially from Edmonton and then they okay. moved to Van- Vancouver, okay. Manitoba, like, Manitoba bands that are big is me, me like figure four and come back kid were kind of the big right. ones to come out of there. Okay. I thought I had read somewhere a long time ago that they're from Manitoba. No, I don't believe, I believe they played there quite often as they toured Canada, but they were an Edmonton based band initially. And then, and then West coast. Fair enough.
you have for your uh, last record? There you go. Number five. Number five, we'll go with Madball demonstrating my style. So uh, growing up as a young metal metaler, uh, I would always buy metal magazines. Metal Maniacs was one that I bought a lot through my teenage years. And Metal Maniacs was, you know, very like death metal magazine. Um, at that point in my life, when I'm in my, my early teens, I'm starting to play in, in metal bands and very much into a lot of kind of death metal stuff. Cynic, I liked a lot. Um, Deicide, stuff like that. And Metal Maniacs was mostly concerned with that kind of stuff, but they also did branch out into hardcore. So it's in Metal Maniacs where I first saw Sick of It All. Um, it's in Metal Maniacs where I first saw or heard about Madball, you know. And so I remember reading about demonstrating my style, and I went to that Sound Connection store and ordered it, and soon thereafter it came. And that was a, a big game changer for me because... I think, yeah, Freddie Freddie's lyrics are 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 real, as we were talking about with hip hop before. Like, there's this street realness or something to it. Um, and musically, it was it was more metal, right? Like, I I in during that time especially didn't really gravitate towards much punk rock, um, and so a lot of hardcore was sort of lost on me because I always kind of the punk rock side of it or something. Uh, I didn't always like um but madball still had that real metallic side to things and so it was it was them and sick of it all that really kind of you know uh started to show me that you know punk rock and metal could could be mixed and could be, create something really 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 amazing man madball god those dudes are still crushing it it really sucks they were just here recently and like nobody went and i was like that's a shame it was yeah for me like <clears throat> that was the last tour that I did with misery signals. They like, they kicked me out on that tour when there was three or four shows left. So I grew up just loving that band, you know, and like mad ball, sick of it all Snapcase, and, and misery signals, you know, do, tours lots for those first few years that I'm in the band. And then we get this mad ball tour. Um, and for me, it was just like, it couldn't, you know, I would have been, it was it was the most important band basically for me to be touring with you know it was super influential band so it was uh a very important tour for us to get on i was very happy and proud to be able to have uh toured with those guys back then but yeah they are a great band and uh i encourage people to support madball because they are a super important band in the history of hardcore and metal well, that is your uh, your five records that influenced you. Um, I don't know who will be next, uh, but I'm very much looking forward to, like you you said, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what everybody else has in store for what influenced them. I think with the brothers, I'm interested to see how much crossover there is or carryover between what they maybe were growing up listening to, because I assume there's got to be, like any brothers in any band, especially if you're playing drums and guitar, that there's got to be carryover where it's like, oh, it's Van Halen because we both you know, gravitated <laughs> toward that. Or, you know, I, I don't know what, but like I, I'm interested to see anything. Actually, I think Kyle is the one I'm most interested to, to hear what influenced him because he's kind of the more quiet one. Kyle, yeah, yeah. No, it'll be, it'll, it'll be good interviews. I, I look forward to them myself. Well, uh, 
hate to tease it. We've been teasing it on the show for, for so long, especially as of recently. Uh, you and I have a, a very long conversation uh, approaching soonish uh, when everything finally can fall into place. Um, but until that time, uh, where can everyone find you and or the band or whatever it is you want to plug online? Uh, you just MiseriSignals.net. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, they are going to be... By the time this gets out, it'll be announced already, so it's no big deal. We're going to be doing a West Coast thing with Darkest Hour through April. Uh, and then there will be a lot more to be announced in the next month. I just don't want to say anything here right now. But, um, yeah, new record is going to be coming out very soon, and we will be touring uh, quite a bit this year. So uh, just keep your eyes peeled. And uh, thanks for the support, and thanks to you, John, for, for the support, buddy. Yeah, it's been uh, <laughs> it's been really hard to keep some of these <laughs> these secrets over the last two and a half years. Where you're like, we're doing this, and I'm like, uh, can we talk about that? You're like, not yet. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's not an easy band to be in. Like, I mean, we're all super excited to be doing this, but it's taken it's taken a little bit of time, right? Because we everybody has Stewart has comeback kid, and Ryan and I have kids, and. Rye coaches jujitsu, and I'm a school teacher, and still a whole lot of hurdles to get over. But we're really excited about what we've brought together, and we can't wait for people to hear it. I know a lot of people seem to be very excited about your Furnace Fest uh, appearance that was announced. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a really good time. That's that. That's the only real show that I ever played with Seven Angels was there, um, and that is also just not very far from where the compromise crash happened. So it's a special area for us. Um, and we're all very, very excited to to get to go back down there and play that stage again. Cause it's uh, maybe the most interesting and unique venue I've ever played in my life. Um, and I know that just based on what they've been able to do with the bands that they're bringing back, it's just, it's a special thing. I think people are, are really excited about it, and I think it's going to be a, a wonderful weekend. I know my co-host is very excited to try to go. Hopefully, as media, worst case, he's going to go by himself. But uh, I know if my wife wasn't planning a trip to my favorite area in Atlanta uh, for my 36th, that probably would be where I would go because there's so many of my friends playing that show at this point, and I'm just like... Ooh, I kind of want to go to that one. I know, I know, you know, a couple of fests uh, early in the year for my wife would probably be very like torturous where she's like, I'm not like 18 and I don't want to be surrounded by people doing karate kicks in the air for three days. <laughs> well, I think with this one, there's going to be a lot of older people. So there might be karate kicks, but I don't think they'll be as forceful. And I think they might be uh, a lot lower. Man, you don't know, man. People might be <laughs> might be in Planet Fitness right now on that twenty cent plan, just getting into shape, ready for this Furnace Fest. <laughs> That's right. Work out to get ready for Furnace Fest. There you go. Well, thank you very much for taking the time tonight, and uh, looking forward to catching up with you uh, here soonish. Thanks so much, sir. You have a very good evening, and we'll chat soon. You as well. Out the